Good morning. How's everybody doing? A lot of you construction guys. Is he looking for a stud? What's he doing? Hold that thought. God doesn't simply want to save us. He wants to change us. I don't know if the DMV has something against me or not. (laughs) I don't know if it's like a personal vendetta that they have, but my entire life with them has just been a tragedy. Um, A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were taking a walk, and we were talking about someone in our life who really doesn't do well with stress and who lashes out at people. And I remember saying to her, I just don't understand why people are like that. I don't understand why people get angry and yell and scream when things don't go their way. Two hours later, I went to the Florida DMV. I'm not kidding. It's a 100% true story. I had a Michigan driver's license that I needed to switch over to a Florida license. Um, She pulled everything up. I did the vision test. Everything was great. And then she said, oh, there's a, um, I'm sorry, I can't do it for you today. There's a hold on your license. Um, Evidently, there's something on your driving record um, from Virginia. And I said, I haven't lived in Virginia for 10 years. I've renewed my license twice in Michigan. Doesn't matter. I was calm. (laughs) And I said, can I speak to your manager, please? She said, yes, but she's going to say, manager. My wife found out about this halfway through, and her response to me was, don't cause a scene. Um, Too late. (laughs) For the next 72 hours, I am in limbo. My Michigan license is, is not valid anymore. I can't get a Florida license. I have to take care of something in Virginia in a place I haven't lived for 10 years. Now, you can only call a line in Virginia and then wait for them to call you back. You don't get a phone call from anybody. So I put that in and I waited for eight hours, no phone call. The next day, eight hours, no phone call. The next day, two hours, finally got a call back. I talked to her on the line for about two hours, um, was getting nowhere with her, um, and then we got disconnected. I lost my mind. I lost my mind. Called back, left another message. She called back a couple hours later. It was a different woman. So I had to go through the entire thing again. Come to find out, there was a mistake that they made on their end with something I had taken care of about seven years ago. Um, I was right. I was right. 
and I made a complete jerk of myself in the process of being right. Um, I went back to the Florida, I guess they call it the tax collector here, yeah, which is so fitting. Um, and I walked in and I found the woman and um, had to make some apologies. And they got me right through, and I'm legally now a driver here in Florida. That's great. I want to change. I don't, I don't want that to be my response to difficulty in this life. I think the problem that a lot of us have when it comes to change is that we find ourselves in situations where we conquer one thing, and then another thing kind of sprouts up, and we're left battling these things throughout our entire life. And I've got some bad news. This is the way it's going to be, that God is in the process of sanctifying us, of making us more like his son Jesus, of giving us cues about places that we can change. And usually it's in areas where we just fail. We just mess up. And God reveals that to us. Now, there's a lot of backgrounds probably in this room of churches that you went to from Catholic to Presbyterian to Baptist to Westland to all different sorts of places. And you probably come from a lot of different places where you came to understand what it means to follow hard after Jesus. For me as a kid, salvation or becoming like Jesus or being a Christian or whatever that was, it was just kind of a list of things that you're not supposed to do. So don't do these things and you're okay. And if you do these things, you're in a lot of trouble. And God doesn't like you anymore. And you better get your life right or you're going to go straight to hell. So as a kid, you're laying in bed and you're going throughout your day and you're like, did I miss anything? Did I, is there a sin that could, you know, like, I mean, that was kind of my view growing up. It was kind of terrifying, a little bit traumatic. But then I was part of another community where it didn't matter what you did. So you could live any way that you wanted to live. And, um, and it was okay. And that's equally as harmful. And maybe we can find a balance. Maybe we can find a place in the middle where we have our security in Christ and in our salvation, but we also recognize that change is a part of that salvation. That change is something that God wants for us. Now, there is a massive difference between experience and exposure. Let me explain. I, I hate green bean casserole. <laughs> now, you may be saying to yourself, well, you've never had my green bean. I wouldn't like your green bean casserole either. If green bean casserole is served at the marriage supper of the lamb, I will not like green bean casserole. My mom loves to serve green bean casserole. And when I was a kid, it took me to the edge because I had to eat it. It was on my plate. So I would gag down the green beans. And every time she would have the speech prepared for, more, for me, she would say, don't you know, and I had to memorize, don't you know, that there are starving children. <laughs> Her particular continent of choice was Africa. I was exposed to that truth when I was a kid. And it, there, wasn't, there wasn't a piece of me that disagreed with her. I believed her. I believed that truth. I was exposed to that truth a long time ago. But then I went to Hepsiba Children's Home and I met children who were pulled out of houses where they hadn't eaten in two weeks. 
I met a kid who had been chained to a rock in Central Park in New York City. His mom just left him there. And I experienced what I said I had believed all along. It had changed the way that I thought about that truth. Now, I, don't, I still don't eat green bean casserole, <laughs> but I believed that my mom was there to take care of me and that she had what was best in, in mind for me and that she loved me deeply. And the thankfulness that I should have had, I began to experience for the first time. I want us to experience truth this morning. I don't want us to just be exposed to the truth, but I want us to experience, because when we experience it, it kind of solidifies it. It kind of becomes something that we can speak to, and we can say, you know what, not only do I know that truth, but I believe that truth in my heart, and I have experienced that truth, and it is causing me to change. It's causing me to become more and more like Christ. Every single one of us have something in our life that we want to change. Every single one of us. And I'm just going to go through a couple of things that I think are key to start that change process. They're things you've heard a million times, but I hope that I can put just a little bit of a different spin on it and help us get through that. Galatians chapter 5, 13 through 25. I'm going to skip down through a bunch of these verses, but it's basically talking about the sins of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. They are juxtaposed against each other in the Scripture in Galatians chapter 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Verse 19, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, (laughs) jealousy, fits of rage, guilty, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So here Paul is kind of setting up, like, listen, this is what you looked like before, and this is what you look like when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. So at salvation, every single one of us, every single person who has accepted Christ into their life gets the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit begins to grow this fruit in our life. It's an infant form, and for the rest of your life, that fruit will grow, hopefully, will continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. Now, that's the desired process, and hopefully all of us can look back to five years ago and say, you know what? I've changed. Even if it's just a little baby step forward, we can look back and say, I have made progress in my life. The Lord has brought me along. But maybe you've been stagnant for a long time. And listen, I've gone through seasons like that in my life where it feels like I'm not making any progress or maybe I'm even going backwards. And God is like, that's okay. Let's get back on track. And so we, we want to be able to say that we're moving forward, that we're, we're having these steps in the right direction. Point number one, the power to change begins with a humble prayer. A humble prayer, not just a prayer, but a humble prayer. 
A humble prayer is different than just a prayer. If you remember in the Old Testament, David is gone. He's no longer king. He's passed away. And Solomon, his son, has now ascended to the throne. Solomon is 20 years old at the time. 20 years old. And this is what he says to the Lord in 1 Kings 3, 7 through 10. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people, and you have chosen a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this, and not for long life, for wealth, for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. There is something about the humble prayer of a person. Solomon is sitting there and he's like, I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just a kid and you're asking me to do this. I need you to do the thing in me that's going to make me capable of doing the thing that you're asking me to do. Otherwise, there's no hope. And so often we find ourselves in a place where we think that we've got the internal strength or the internal power to do the thing that God is calling us to do. And God is saying, no, the thing that I'm calling you can do, to do is what I can do in you. Come to me. Pray the humble prayer. But you have to be willing to admit that there's something in your life that needs to change. It's such a beautiful verse in verse 10. I mean, wouldn't you love to hear the Lord say this? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. The Lord was like, oh, that's a good prayer. That's a good prayer. This thread is found all throughout Scripture. Second Chronicles, Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Prayer is essential for change because in prayer we are saying that we do not have the strength to do what God has called us to do without his strength. The power to change begins with you admitting that there are things in our lives that need change, and there isn't a single person here who can say that there's nothing in your life to change. If you were to say that, I would say the thing that you need to change is that you don't know how to tell the truth. <laughs> Number two, the power to change begins with humble worship, with humble worship. If you remember the scene, Mary and Martha are sitting in the house and Martha is busy at work, slaving away in the kitchen, trying to get everything together. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha comes in. It's like, what's up with this? Tell this woman to help me out. And Jesus says, no. Mary has chosen what is better. Humble worship brings change. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, my brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test 
and approve the will of God, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So how do we change? We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice in worship. Worship is transformational because when we worship, we enter into the presence of the Lord and he inhabits those praises and it's impossible to be in the presence of the Lord and not be changed, not be changed. We worship well as a church. You guys know that, right? You make my job really easy. You sing, you praise, you raise your hands. It's amazing. Don't let that stop at those doors when you walk out. Make it a part of your lifestyle. Make it a part of the rhythm of your life. The power to change begins with humble worship. Number three, the power to change begins with humble investigation. The power to change begins with humble investigation. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Now, we have this thing called a mentor or a mentored relationship. Every single person in here should be mentoring and being mentored. There is someone who you are in a sphere with who desperately needs to hear from you. And you are a person who desperately needs to hear from someone else. This is the ancient way. This is the way where people learn what it is to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. It's where you learn how to be a man or how to be a woman. It's the people in your life who are willing to tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Seven years ago, when I was on my way home from uh, drug and alcohol rehab, God did an amazing work in my life. I had been fired from my church by a guy named Dan Turner. I get off the airplane. We go immediately in to meet with some people from the church where I had just been fired. I'm thinking I'm going to meet with the pastor. I walk in. The guy who's sitting there to meet with me is Dan Turner, the guy who fired me. I didn't like Dan Turner. And he looked at me and he said, we're going to be best friends. And I said, I don't see that happening. We began to talk. I talked to Dan three days ago. Dan is one of my best friends. Dan whipped me into shape. Dan called me to the carpet when I needed to be called to the carpet. Dan told me what I needed to hear and not what I wanted to hear. Always, primarily, we're going to say that God is the one who brings about change. And primarily, I mean that, but under God, he has these means, he has these human instruments that are there for you in your life to bring about change. Number two, study, that we're going to study. Christians should be the most curious people on earth when it comes to God. I want to know more about you. I want to know what is being said here. I want to study this. I want to get as many opinions about this passage as I possibly can. And you're studying and you're learning and you're growing because you're learning more and more about God. Asking questions. 
asking questions. I asked a guy who's a pastor of a church of about 12,000 people 20 years ago. I sat down with him and I said, what's the most important thing that you can tell me as I was going into ministry? He said, ask a lot of questions. Ask as many as you can. Don't be afraid to be thought of as a fool in the amount of questions that you ask. And I think we live in a world where we're so afraid to be humble in that way. We want people to think that we know it. We want people to think that we have it all together. We want people to think that we have a lot of knowledge. But listen, I haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg. And you haven't either. So let's ask those questions. How many of you have ever heard of John Piper? Anybody? John Piper? Man, that's just astonishing to me. Um, John Piper is, to me, one of the greatest theological voices of our generation. Um, unbelievable teacher, theologian, um, global, worldwide known, um, pastors of church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. In the year 1999, I had no idea who John Piper was. I was from a different denomination. And so I'm getting ready to teach on giving for the first time at a church, and I was really struggling with what I wanted to say. And so I had listened to a cassette tape of this guy, Dr. John Piper. And I was like, well, I'm just going to call him. So I pick up the phone, and I dial. <laughs> this is back when you could dial, I don't know if you can still do this, but the 1411 Minneapolis, you know, I need uh, John Piper. Dr. John Piper, and she was like, yes, do you want me to connect you? I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> it was January 2nd, I remember that. The phone rings, John Piper picks up the phone. I'm a little kid, I don't know anything, and I'm like, is this Dr. John Piper? He was like, yes, yes it is. And I was like, hi, I'm Jason, I'm a pastor from Indiana. Why do you tithe? Why do you give money to a church? And he was like, I'm sorry, who is this? I was like, I'm a pastor from Indiana. And I'm just like picturing this guy as like this guy sitting in a tiny little country church. You know what I mean? Like nothing else to do. He's in the middle of writing his 70th book, you know. And he was like, hold on a second. I'm taking the Christmas tree down. Um, let me go into my office. So he went into his office and he sat down and he said, it's an interesting question. Why do I give? And he sat silently for a second and he said, I give because there's nothing that brings me more joy than to give up something that so often comes between me and Jesus. It's like, I'm gonna write that down. <clears throat> he prayed with me and that was it. The next day, what do you think my opening statement was? Ask questions. Number four, the power to change begins with a humble ear. The power to change begins with a humble ear, listening. Isaiah 55, two and three says, listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me and listen that you may live. Listen, listen, listen. Three times it's mentioned in these verses. Listen, listen. 
In Israel, there is a tunnel that runs from inside the city to outside of the city. It's known as Hezekiah's Tunnel or the Siloam Tunnel. The king of Assyria, Sennacherib at the time, is headed towards the city. The pool of Siloam is outside the city walls. The people of Israel will not have a water source unless they're able to get to that spring, the Siloam Spring. So Hezekiah builds this tunnel from inside the city, underground through solid bedrock, one-third of a mile, 600 yards, into the Pool of Siloam so that the people could survive the siege from the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. The gradient of this, it winds because they had to avoid already existing structures. The gradient of this, oh, and by the way, they started from both ends. And it met by less than two feet. The gradient is 12 inches from one end to the next, bringing the water into the city. An absolute marvel of engineering. And for centuries, people wondered, how in the world do somebody 2,500 years ago know how to do this? How were they able to not only do it, but know the route and know the gradient of how they're going to get water into the city? So after a lot of research and people searching the site and trying to figure out, they noticed that on top, outside where the tunnel is being dug, there are these holes that are beat into the bedrock. And the people who are down below are listening to this man who's up on top bashing the rock with this metal rod, listening. And they would hear, okay, he's turning. And they would follow. Okay, that is, that is not as loud, so we need to go down a little bit. Or that was too loud, we need to go up a little bit. And they're working on the gradient, and they're following this winding, snaky path through solid bedrock. They're off by two feet. They had to listen the whole time. I think probably when it comes to prayer and it comes to the thing that we struggle with the most is that we're a people who love to talk. We've got that down pat. We, we pray, we make our requests known to the Lord, and then we enter back into a world that is filled with chaos and noise. And we never have a time where we can come before him and listen. Listen. What is it that the Lord is saying to me? What is it the Lord is trying to reveal to me about things in my life that I need to change? Where is the tap that I hear in my life that is helping me navigate through the tunnels of my life? But we'll never know unless we listen. We'll never know unless our ear is attentive to the tap of the Lord in our life.
we live in, in my opinion, one of the most insanely, um, I like to call it like a microwave theology. You pray to the Lord, the Lord responds, when would you like this done? Now, you jump on Amazon, you, you order something. When do you want it delivered? Now, you're starving, you get home, you don't want to cook a whole meal. When do you want to eat? You want to eat now. You go to the restaurant after church, you walk up to the person, how long is the, late, the wait? 30 minutes? Nope, not going to eat here because I want to eat. All of those things are about us not being able to wait for an answer from the Lord. In that process of practicing the spiritual disciplines of worship or of prayer or of anything else that we have in our life that we're trying to seek and grow and experience change, there's delays in that for the most part. You have to stick with it for a while before you see those spiritual muscles grow. And most of the time as you're doing those things, you don't notice the change. But if you stick with it for a while, you can look back and say, ah, I see it now. I see it now. Does anybody remember the day you bought a VCR for the first time? Anybody remember that? Was it as big a deal to you as it was to me as a kid? I mean, we were, we were behind. We were, I grew up pretty poor. So like a, a v, the idea of buying a VCR was like owning like a jet or something. I mean, we, we just saved money. We figured they were way more expensive back then. Um, and I remember we got a VCR in one of the first movies we got, and I was so excited. I was nine years old, um, was the movie The Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid with Ralph Macchio. Has anybody ever seen that movie? Oh, everybody's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I watched it last night, Pastor Jason. Um, so... The, the movie is great for a lot of reasons. There's, it's all about a villain and a hero and all this stuff. But if you'll remember, Daniel, Danielson, is, um, is under the tutelage of Mr. Miyagi. And he goes to him because he's being bullied at school. And Mr. Miyagi is, has agreed he's going to be his karate teacher. He's going to be the person that's going to teach him um, how to become a karate master. And so he shows up at Mr. Miyagi's house. And Mr. Miyagi puts him to work. He's waxing floors, he's sanding the the deck, he's painting the fence, he's painting the house, he's waxing the cars, he's doing all of this stuff, and he's getting really ticked off because it's like, listen, man, I came to you to teach me how to do karate and beat these other guys up, and you're not teaching me anything, I'm not learning anything. Something happens in these disciplines when you practice them over and over and over and over again that you aren't often aware of. But when you're in a situation where the enemy shoots an arrow at you, you respond. Because you're changing. You're changing. Can we commit this morning to change, to submitting to the Lord, to being humble in our worship and our prayer, and say, Father, point out any wicked thing in me and change me. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes.
take the next 30 seconds and just listen. Listen to the Lord. Now that you have it, that thing that's going to be invaded by the Holy Spirit this week, things that we need to change, think about where we're going to go to pray, to be silent before Him, to investigate the claims and the promises of God. We love you, Father. We ask all this in your Son's name, the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.